back. Mark Shaver's back, and we are once again just chronicling another just insanely talented rapper turned actor. We are talking Earl Simmons, known professionally as DMX of the Rough Riders group. Welcome back, Mark. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me again. Anytime. Yeah, we were talking West Coast last time. Now we're talking East Coast. Now it's East Coast time. <laughs> it's kind of wild because like like Tupac, he's got kind of that same kind of dynamic. And all music yeah. even kind of talked about how he was kind of the hardcore rap air, kind of to him and Notorious Big, but even describing him as a hip-hop version of Johnny Cash. And when I heard that, I was like, ah, I'm not sure. But I do get it. I, I get that he is very poetic in terms of how he sums up his material and you know dmx to me is another one that <clears throat> he he always he always poured passion into his work you know what i mean um he didn't he didn't try to he didn't try to change himself or change his style to fit with the times and and that's something to me, it's like, I understand artists got to do that, you know, but that's something I always really respect about him. You know, he he uh, he was just himself, you know? Yeah, I, there was never any shortage of him, you know, uh, just early 2000s, as well as the late 90s. He, he, you know, was working with Oinks, which Sticky Fingers was a part of, and then worked with audio slave later on but yeah after those free movies with jet lee and seagal for producer joel silver and warner brothers is like then he did he was just pretty commonplace to see him doing a few uh independent films and direct-to-video nonsense while <laughs> also doing a bet reality show and that was all in between 07 to 2012 and they would still try and find compilation albums and uh, other unreleased remixes to just pay off some other legal issues involving, you know, divorce and just rehab, and it's kind of a shame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it, it sounded like he was kind of coming back, you know, trying trying to get his um, career back, his music career back in order or something. Um, the Jay Z didn't right before help. he died. <laughs> yeah. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever he was into, um, seemed to kind of, it just seemed to be something he just couldn't shake, you know. Which I understand it's, it's got to be tough to do it once you're in that. Once yeah, you go down that path, I, I hear it's hard to come back from it. So you ever hear the conspiracy involving the illuminati <laughs> not not regarding dmx i mean i i hear that all the time about this he, he just uh, jay-z and jay-z had connections so next thing you know his career just kind of evaporates no one wants to offer him anything and it just kind of sucks because like jay-z just can seem really petty at times but he had the high ground in terms of uh just you know he had the record music connections and was already a producer at that time so if he didn't like you he'd find a way to just kind of blacklist you <laughs> uh, but yeah i'm not sure i mean um i don't think I, I don't remember ever hearing any anything about any disagreement or beef between those two not 
not that there wasn't maybe there was, it was like a pretty blunt interview once upon a time i can't remember if it was like on the radio or just in person but after after definitely after like oh free he they, they had had it with each other <laughs> okay uh, yeah i mean i see they didn't really they did a tour together but it was just you know to share ratings versus actually combined together like hey we're homies for life we're working together you know I, I do remember Jay-Z had taken some shots at uh, Prodigy of Mob Deep. Uh, right. You know, th th they were kind of going back and forth with some different diss tracks. Um, that's about all. You know, I mean, a couple of Jay-Z's albums from back in the 90s I, I definitely enjoyed. Um volume two and then he was collaborating Life. with every other hip-hop or new metal <laughs> yeah dmx was on that album um you know eventually though i don't know i just i like the i like the rough rider style a bit better than the rockefeller style which don't get me wrong rockefeller had some really good artists i mean uh like memphis bleak beanie siegel I mean, those guys were really good. Uh, I mean, Jay-Z wasn't bad either. I'm not saying he was bad. I used just... to get belly mixed up with all the state property movies because they just were, it was like they kind of had the, some of the same kind of managers to star in a Universal or Lionsgate movie that's loosely based on your life. So by the time 50 Cent and plenty of others were just kind of coming around i it just was all second nature to me i'm like of course <laughs> just, you're only doing what dmx and tupac have been doing for a while <laughs> yeah i saw bailey a long time ago i hardly even remember it but it was kind of more similar to one of dmx's later movies uh never die alone yeah i saw that one as well which again that's another one that i i just don't really remember very well but but the other three main ones you know i mean I've watched many, many, many times, right? Romeo Must Die. Exit he just has a natural commanding charisma in that he just feels like whatever he's saying, you know, he believes it, so therefore you believe it. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's a good point, and that's the thing. I mean... Because there's uh, plenty of others who can't do that. Like, if LL Cool J told you and is like, hey, I kicked the shit out of people. He's just like, nah, dude, you're just too nice and cool. I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. So it's just like, there's so many others where it's just like, for the most part, it's like they kind of were just doing comedies or hood parodies. And it was just kind of just interesting to see him still kind of doing all these gritty movies and they were able to make it work. <laughs> and yeah, I remember the, I remember seeing the trailer for Romeo Must Die. Uh, you know, back, I don't know, shortly before it came out. And, you know, I was already a Jet Li fan at the time. And then, then I, when I saw DMX, it was in that movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like, just the, the whole cast. You know, I remember Delroy Lindo was in it. Obviously, Aaliyah. Um, yep. <clears throat> quite, a few, quite a few people, Russell Wong, et cetera. And, yeah, I just remember that that trailer was so cool, and I was like, "Oh, this movie's gonna be awesome." And looking back, it, it really was really good. I mean, a lot of people kind of shit on it. If if a lot of the Hong Kong cinema buffs, like, you know, no disrespect to anybody, of course, but 
everybody's welcome to their own opinion. I know that movie got a lot of flack for some of like the wire work and stuff. And yeah, there were a couple of like wonky moments with the wire work, but I'll take it over Romeo and Juliet from 96. <laughs> to be honest, Jet yes. Lee, and you know, not to get off topic, but real quick, I mean, Jet Lee's contemporary <laughs> set films, um, I think his, his, uh, you know, work outside of Hong Kong probably bested those, like, especially like Kiss of the Dragon and Danny the Dog. But um, he was trying different styles at that point, you know, and yeah, of course, it's not going to be the same as his like period pieces like Fist of Legend, Once Upon a Time in China, too. I mean, those films are like really, really, I mean, it's really hard to top that kind of choreography but i can totally see why he got along with dmx he was very much in that same kind of realm you know this is before we found out jet was suffering from arthritis and could only do certain kinds of stunts and you know dmx it seemed you know post legal troubles was always getting pressure by managers to engage in like a street fight and he would always back off but he had kind of that same deal he because he's got this image you know <laughs> Jet's been this image of Hong Kong in the 80s and 90s, and he's got to maintain it in the 2000s. Same kind of deal with X, where you know he's really big and he's working with the Rough Riders and getting even people like the Locks Group and other people from Bad Boy Records and Rough Riders Group and even Eve, you know, to appear on his tracks together. And so I think, yeah, like you're saying, is is they. They're trying to make everyone happy and you know that's impossible but they're still regardless of where you like the material or not you just kind of have i think he just slips through the cracks in that he's what even if you're not a fan of rap music is just there's something about his anger that just sounds very fueling and illustrative of what picture he's trying to paint in every album and yeah he and he he presented I think he presented some some of the pain as well, like like kind of Tupac was able to really like. You can never forgive me, but I'm here for you. You know, it, it's. I just saw a really, really out. like, a really, uh, you know, like I, I don't even know how to describe it, but there was an interview with DMX I saw where he he talked about how, um, I guess his mentor when he was a teenager. Had, it got him hooked on like crack. I uh, bet. I, I believe that's what he said, you know. And uh, you know, he was just a kid at the time. Yeah, and it, it just it sounded like that was some kind of a you know demon that he was. He never was able to like fully break away from. And you could just hear the like the pain in his voice and like, you know, that, that was pretty sad. It was sad, but it was also just realistic because there's just so many people who think you're either a good guy or bad guy. Is like, and then there are people who are flawed. They mean no trouble by it, but they get into trouble and they want to find ways to be better because you can only pray to God so many times and just ask for forgiveness from your friends. So he was just kind of more the guys who were in between, you know, poor and middle class who were just trying to survive on inspiration and like you say just show how dark one's soul can be at times and how it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel and that's very empowering for many other people who are probably in a sticky situation and they realize man you know how do i get out of here <laughs> yeah and i think like 
the fact that he, you know, because I mean, he was obviously he obviously held religion to to a high regard, you know, like he would put the prayer skit on every album, and he um, he has a great track called Angel that uh, they played mm-hmm. in the movie Exit Wounds, but it was from his album, and then there was X, where yep. he had um, I'm trying to remember the name Regina Bell, maybe. Something like that. I, I, he anyway. definitely had a lot of people from the Fugees, and I think that's why some of their music plays in Billy. That might yeah, be sound like a gospel music. track almost, you know. And but it actually that was one of those tracks where it did show like a, a sign of hope. You know what I mean? Like that was like a, an uplifting track instead of one of the angrier tracks. And yeah, like, like "Get at Me, Dog." You know, that's 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 a fight <laughs> song. You know, and. Yeah, I mean, he definitely had some some really violent songs, you know what I mean? Like, um, especially like in his first album. He was Lose young. My mind open. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that whole album, you know, in, um, It's Dark and Hell is Hot. I mean, I think that was, you know, I, I mean, that was a dark album, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that's the kind of material you're going to get on it for the most part. Well, and I'm sure it was overwhelming for him to just come from the underground rap scene around 94. And then next thing you know, you're with giant labels. And now, you know, Swiss Beats is making sure he has a bunch of these uh, good productions. And he's having to, again, you know, do all these movies and do all. He's kind of just like if Tupac got a second shot, kind of. And so he's getting all these labels, all these, all this attention. and that there were even still some people who, you know, hadn't heard of him, but I think that was just more kind of the political and social presence. You know, this was before Facebook, Twitter took over social media and you were just hearing tabloids about people, you know. And, yeah, and a and lot of time the media would love to focus on the negative, you know, the, the illegal. More gangster rap music is causing our kids to shoot people. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't think so, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they always want to blame something, you know what I mean? Again, it's not to say no kids could be influenced by by any of it, but for the most part, you know, I mean, you can't you cannot point the finger at at music like that. Yeah. So apparently his name DMX was actually from the digital drum machine like that was like the name of the brand and everyone thought he meant Darkman X apparently <laughs> it's like no it's uh, he was a human I never box. knew that I mean I, I always thought it stood for Darkman X yeah I, I think he kind of just he didn't say it one way or the other and it, this is from all music so I'll take that with a grain of salt but um, he did get some kind of bashing for when you know, flesh of my blood, blood of my blood was, you know, had the poster of him just covered in just that blood. And I think that's just when people were wanting to impose more censorship over a cover when it's like, you guys are going to complain regardless. You don't have to buy the album. I mean, right. If all these pop artists are going to be in cleavage, then yeah, you're going to probably see some albums. I mean, would you rather a gory body on the cover? <laughs> this guy covered in blood. Yeah, no, I didn't really see. I mean, it's definitely a. Uh, I don't know if you want to use the word graphic or whatever, but it, I didn't. I didn't see anything wrong with it. Like, it's not like um, 
you know, I think it works. It works for the title of the album. It it's kind of it's kind of one of those classic covers. You know, it it really brings the greediness of that album, like it 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 puts it in picture form. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, funny enough, I remember I went where where did I go? I I rode my bike or something to the mall <laughs> back in the in the day, you know. <laughs> and I wanted to buy It's Dark and Hell is Hot. But mm. I was only, you know, 13 or, or something. And the, I remember the record store in the mall, you know, at that time they were they were being pretty picky about you had to be you know, 17 to buy explicit lyrics. Yeah, so. it was wild how someone would still get a hold of a video game because you could always just have a cousin or someone else or some other parent who wasn't paying attention just buying it i never knew how they got a hold of say a violent game like god of war or grand theft auto and it's just like well somehow they got it because i remember yeah yeah exactly i mean if kids want it or people want it you know obviously kids or or young teenagers the movies they would kind of take with a grain of salt but unless there it was very just graphic cover or pornographic looking cover but yeah, on music, yeah, I would see some of them kind of imposing for a while, and then I think after a while they just stopped caring. Or like, I mean, there's the explicit advisory on the cover. I mean, you know, if you want to buy it, if you can't see that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I so I went to the mall, and this is what I would do a few times around around then when when you couldn't go in and buy it at that age, find somebody in the mall who was old enough, give them the money, and ask them, hey, would you please go buy me this? <laughs> you know, so I. I remember I gave some some random person in the mall, like whatever the cost was, hey, can you go buy me DMX's album, It's Dark and Hell is Hot, on cassette. Because at that time, I was still buying cassettes because they were cheaper. There you you know, go. I didn't have a job. I was only 13. Well, that guy came back out and he gave me the bag. And he actually he actually bought me Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood by mistake. So... That's the first album that I listened to. And, you know, when I first listened to it, probably maybe because I was, like, disappointed that, hey, that's not the one I asked for. So I, w- I wasn't really feeling it that that well. And then I went out, you know, next time I went to the mall, I got It's Dark and Hell is Hot, and I really, really liked the album, you know. But when I went back later, like several years later, I went back and, like, uh, listen to flesh of my flesh blood of my blood again then i realized wait a minute you know this is i would really get those album. two definitely mixed up uh especially with your the dog it was one of those like wait 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 wait, no this is from 98 not oh free when he's at the second part of his career <laughs> yeah um to have nine giant studio albums and then a tribute album for celebs various electronic and pop artists uh, released stuff for him, including Naz, Jay-Z, and even Bono of U2. Uh, I did not expect that. That came out of nowhere. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, supposedly he had been working on that album like before he passed. It was supposed to, I don't know if it was supposed supposedly, to be a album or like, what. It didn't really feel like a a full album. It just felt like you said, like a it didn't feel like a fully, fully formed project or I was finished kind album. of angry because I was like does this estate get much money from that you know <laughs> or is the record company making more 
because it just kind of came out of nowhere and, and it just felt last minute even if it was like you say you know been in the works for a while and i mean i think that's just it i think he kind of had just had very controlling you know pr team who were having to put up with both his bullshit and uh you know he had all these various health issues uh, I, I sometimes would get depressed i around i think 2018 i think i just saw photos of him randomly and it's like man he had gained so much weight and just was almost unrecognizable and it just was very sad when his death hit in you know april 2012 2021 and yeah it's like man i remember reading the an instagram post from i don't remember where i first saw it but I said, you know, he he was not in good shape. And yeah, I kept a close eye on, on how things were going, but unfortunately it sounded like, you know, um you it's know he had probably been without oxygen way too long and you you know, you kind of just felt like um you know how it's gonna end, you know. Basically it's it sounded like he could have been brain dead already and they were just kind of waiting. To you know, take him off life support, but mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, that was a sad time, you know. I just don't know if the media just didn't want to cover him anymore because the only thing you could really think about was just again his declining health and legal battles, divorce, and it's like you don't know if they got pressure from the record companies. Hey, you know, stop talking smack about you know our artist he's never going to get better with this negative press but at the same time i think i thought he had kicked drugs for a while but he had just done so much damage to his body yeah i'm not quite sure i mean i remember he i remember he had been like living in like i don't know if it was phoenix or where somewhere in arizona for a while i think so yeah because he's from new york you know mount vernon and then comes yeah back passes away in new york but near i think buffalo and yeah i did hear stories about him being in like filming a movie in like georgia or whatever with people like lou diamond phillips or chris christopherson yeah those were kind of crap shoots and then yeah come to arizona or some other place on rare occasion i would hear that he would do a concert but i think he got kind of like people who are doing the convention scene if you keep pulling out after a while certain venues don't want to sponsor you because that's so much advertising and billboards to put up and i think he pulled a few of those where he's like i'm just not up to it man i can't i can't do a concert tonight yeah he was always representing yonkers new york um on his on his music and he uh i mean i guess that's where he really grew up and uh that's that's like a little bit outside of new york city but not real far mm-hmm. i remember leaving new york city one time and like, you know, one too far out of the city. I re- I remember seeing signs for Yonkers. So, but that was probably uh, that was quite a few years ago now. Probably two thousand five. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I lived in New York State, I, I would go go down to New York City. You know, a handful of times I, I got the chance, but 
you know, I've never actually, I've never seen any East Coast artists perform. <laughs> Not a single one. I mean, you're hearing it on the radio nonstop, so that helps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got I got a lot of their albums. I mean, I've got I've got um, DMX certainly. I mean, I there's two great songs on the Never Die Alone movie soundtrack that never made it to physical media. Like you can find them on YouTube and Spotify, but they are not. There's no physical track of it, which is a shame because they are just really just energetic and intense <laughs> you'd have to, yeah what what are the names of those tracks because i'm not sure i don't even remember the, the movie that well okay so go for it and king thing <laughs> okay yeah no I, I don't i'll play them but i mean you know ain't about being a motherfucking pimp Ain't about being a hustler, nah. Player, nah. Fiend, nah. It's about being a motherfucking king, alright? Yeah, I mean, baby, it's a king thing. Yeah. Cato to David, uh. two kings in the street, neither one made it. Uh. Think about shit the tear, niggas save it. Dirty motherfucking game, both niggas played it. David was on some bullshit, went full throttle. throttle. Smack shorty in the face with the glass bottle. bottle. Killing bitches with battery ass. Uh. That's the type of shit this nigga master. Yeah. David was a bastard. Yeah. Zip out the stunts with the slow walk. Uh. Glide by nigga, straight real no talk. Yeah, they, 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 they were just cool in that they, you know, see him play during the movie, let alone the trailer and even the end credits, you know, just was very intense. It just complimented. And I'm, I'm kind of really just glad that, I mean, we, we talked about Tupac and how, you know, that was held by Spike Lee's former cinematographer, Ernest R. Dickerson, who went on to do plenty of other cult movies like, you know, Tells from the Crypt, Demon Knight, and has directed plenty of t- hours of TV shows like Bosch and The Wire and, um, uh, to see him helm that movie and have some of his same character actors kind of appear in that and it, it was very much kind of like DMX's Juice where you got this you know uh, pimp who dies and all these other sleazy characters who want to find out all the various people who are connected to it <laughs> and it, it was just a very complex mystery with some occasional action and crime drama elements and I think it just really holds up pretty well because just much like Belly, Roger even really liked it because it was very much a noir kind of film. Okay. But, yeah, I remember like it was it was like marketed as an action film or something from what I remember. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that was the best marketing of it. There is definitely some stunts in it, but it's more of a gritty just movie. There's some mild satirical elements because much like his track, uh, he he does insert some other stuff in there where it's like, and guess what? The guy narrating this is a shitty person. Okay. Yeah. You know how we do. Talk to him. I mean, smack niggas around. I mean, let them know. It's my motherfucking house. Talk to him, baby. Don't fuck with dogs, dog is a beast. X, only nigga get love in the streets. This shit done fell off straight from the whore. Bullshit, getting four mics in the slot. I can't respect that, it's just how I feel. You know the truth when you hit, it's for real. Come on, what the deal? Like it don't show? Oh, yeah, nigga, don't feel it when 
when you coming back, man? Uh, and niggas play too many games, too many jokes. What I say, too many names, provoke situations, but do me the same, and I'ma show you how a nigga stay true to the game. Bet you didn't realize that. So it's like he does play some tricks in the movie through his narration and on-screen presence, and I think that's. It just wasn't going to ever have a big crowd. You know, we had changed our standards so much, uh, you know, by that point to where it was just hard to market just older movies that would have probably killed it in the 40s to 70s, you know? <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that got me thinking about his character in Exit Wounds, how, you know, at, at the beginning you think he's this drug dealer or whatever, and then it turns out, you know, spoiler alert, for those who haven't seen the film, but he's actually a good guy. He's like trying to document the crooked cops. And then he ends up teaming up with uh, Steven Seagal. Yeah. It's like that book came out in like 95 or something like that. And yet when it came out like the same year as training day and had some lethal weapon elements. And I was like, man, this is, this is a, a, this is a very obscure book. And yet, they made it into a wholly different kind of movie. And I think the reason a lot of people connect with it is just, you know, even though Seagal was just so infamous by that point, it didn't feel like a Seagal <laughs> movie. It just felt like a Joel Silver kind of movie, kind of like Ricochet or <laughs> felt, the Last Boy Scout, it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was right in that same vein with like um, Romeo Must Die and, and uh, Cradle to the Grave kind of, you know. I mean, it had... A lot of the same cast members, right? Anthony Anderson. Yeah. And Tom Arnold, Arnold always playing different Isaiah people Washington. each time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then one thing I wanted to say, there there was an artist with Rough Riders named Drag On. Yeah, he's in those last two movies. And yeah, he was. Asaya Washington just, is also in um often playing. He was um he was DMX's definitely brothers. one of my favorites from from the whole Rough Riders camp outside of DMX. And he you know, I follow him on Instagram, and, and he 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 put something out there just recently. He said that DMX pretty much got him the part on Exit Wounds, and he said DMX basically told the producers, like, if you don't put him in the movie, I won't do the movie. Because he was kind of like DMX's, like, little brother, so to speak, you know, not like yeah real brother but you know kind of looking out for him he couldn't like live with himself if he couldn't give him a movie part but it is kind of annoying because it's like he just didn't do movies at all after that one <laughs> it's just like man yeah, he, he was like a he had a bigger part in, in cradle to the grave where he he actually got like to fight against jet lee or something in the i think it was in like a was it a subway uh, yeah he's he basically like he's the gadget guy he sets up all the heists and yeah, yeah, uh, like the sniper rifle at the end. I remember. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they just should have gotten a better director, but they are just fun premises, and they had everyone's attention just because the trailers would just show literally all the action movie money shots in the. Yeah, I, I'd say that was the weakest one. Even though I, you know, watching it again and again over over the years, I I, I enjoy it, but. When it first came out, I thought it was like a little bit disappointing. And I was hoping they would have a little bit more of the uh, because I think Romeo Must Die and Exit Wounds even they they were able to balance action, a little bit of actual drama, and some of the comedy elements too. Whereas it was weird, Brave, I felt it didn't hit on the dramatic 
level but... and the break the fourth wall at the end where they're just talking about this sounds like a movie starring dmx yeah. or steven seagal it's like what is that about it's like it's weird it's like it's a visually it looks again like one of many critics even echoed is like this is basically dmx's commando you know it's a joel silver joint and yeah you do feel him grow a little more as an actor on that one but like you say the story's kind of just barely there and it's just all about the stunts and uh i just feel like it didn't even take too much advantage of even the r rating like there's like one bloody scene and it was a softer r for sure i mean i was like i better see some awesome you know fight scenes and since you know dmx can't fight you know for the most part it's just a stunt double and someone else riding the giant uh you know dirt bike at the end and uh, i think it was just one of those it's also like it was trying to kind of be like a jerry bruckheimer like rival you know because bruckheimer and silver already had that rivalry still going and it's like so you look at the trailer and you're like so this has as low a score like critically but as high an audience score as say something like bad boys or beverly hills cop and it like and like you say like near the end is like it does kind of feel like a hong kong kind of movie because that's kind of where it's going for where it's just an outrageous stunt fest and it's just so wild how it kind of works better for tony jaw versus these kinds of movies yet it's overall kind of in the same altogether vein where you're just like it's basically the same kind of movie it's just your mileage varies based on what you want to see, but it is, it, it is one of those, I have a love hate relationship with them. I will watch them anytime they're on TV because I just cut, you can't take your eyes off the screen. They're just that crazy. You know, this was before Fast and Furious got bigger. I was just yeah. like, even, ah, even crazy you stunts. Know, <laughs> even the last time I watched Cradle to the Grave, and by now it was five, it was probably five years ago now, but, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. And you got to appreciate it. That, that's a film I can appreciate more now because it's like, looking back, hey, it didn't really have a lot of CGI or anything, you know? It was still made kind of practical. at the tail end of where they were still kind of going more for practical effects. So, And just the fact that they allowed them to do these kinds of crazy movies. And I saw so many movies around the same time that looked like they were almost emulating the covers to some of these kinds of mashups where and that was kind of the thing for a while is like take a bunch of hong kong stars and rappers and put them in a matrix type kung fu flick and i mean there was this one awful one with dwayne martin and vivica fox like ride or die and i was like is this like a sequel to one of these kinds of movies it's like it's kind of for that I'm same crowd know. but it's like a direct video crap fest but around this time also dmx was also doing one of those he was doing a lot of video games. He'd be in those Def Jam, you know, Fight for New York games. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Where you play like a fictional version of yourself. So it was kind of wild how he was kind of, he was just everywhere. He's doing like some TV guest spots like on NBC's Third Watch and then around that, you know, so a one to Ofreed's big, big, big year. And he just, yeah, he'd appear in a game. It, and 50 Cent, I felt like kind of did the same thing, you know, from 05 to 08. This is like, I'm going to do some of these movies or bit parts, and then I'm going to be in a video game where I'm playing an action movie version of myself, and you get to play as me, you know, killing terrorists and gangbangers and <laughs> crooked cops. And it's just like, that's kind of was just the deal. And like, I just wasn't surprised to see Snoop Dogg and some of those other guys get in on the action. 
Yeah, those games. I mean, I, I I know I played one of them briefly, but I never, I never rented them. I never bought them, so I didn't. I didn't really. It was either that or do a Grand Theft Auto type knockoff. Like they had those. Uh, oh, what were those other ones where it's like uh, Saints Row or something? It, right? It, it was before Saints Row. It was this other one, uh, True Crime, Fight for New oh, York. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. True and crime fight for LA, LA, and you just yeah. see the cast, and you're like, "Holy shit, this is a big ass cast!" It has I remember Walken. when that game came out, and not that it's a bad game. I mean, it was a pretty solid game if you really look at it, but it's not Grand Theft Auto, you know? <laughs> it's not. No, it's more like one of those narc games where you're just like, it just everyone was so quick to just label everything and you're just like these are just, there's just something for everybody you want something grittier or more of a kind of a strategic kind of game these are kind of what these games are you go around you have to bust uh, do some very heavy you know narcotic busting kind of stuff but yeah, it was just interesting too because what giant voice acting talent they got for each of those, and you're just like, man, they got all these comedians. Yeah, like Michelle Maybe, Rodriguez, right? And, Michelle Rodriguez, Mickey Rourke, even Mariska Hargitay was in one of them, and you're just like, and James then they Hong. did, yep, and and then they did like a Chinatown, like version of it with like Rick Yoon and many people said it was like it is like they changed the name so many times in development hell but at that point they were trying to go for like a infernal affairs or other oh you know, yeah boiled you're talking about sleeping dogs that's the one yeah and so yeah, I just yeah, found yeah, it yeah. interesting whatever movie scripts got abandoned they would basically try doing a video game and I mean around this same time I mean not to get too off topic, I mean, gently did that Rise to Honor game, and that was interesting because that was basically a love letter to all those John Woo type movies, as well as what his new image was, just doing other blockbusters like The One and Kiss of the Dragon and these DMX films. So it was interesting to see how. Yeah. yeah, no, that I'm I'm actually looking at that game right now. I got it right here in my little pile of games on on the oh, one man. of my piles, I should say on on this bookshelf but yeah rise I down is, the hell out of it that's that's a great game um it really felt like when i i was there day one to get that game you know again not to get off topic but uh one of the henchmen game, even looked like dmx at one point i was like was that a fun diss or something they did or easter egg that game was um <laughs> it really felt at the time at least like like you're playing like a hong kong action film you know yeah, yeah, and I, I think a lot of people just weren't ready for it because just like some of the other fighting games, you got to go crazy with the joysticks. <laughs> the game controller is like, yeah, yeah that's how you're going to play. It's not A, B, or C combos, you know? <laughs> I wanted to say this, too, is I did notice uh, after DMX passed that on Jet Li's official Twitter site or Twitter uh, account, he did, you know, whoever runs it, they did have a message put out saying, you know, rest in peace to DMX and talked about how Jet Li had enjoyed getting to know him. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's just always just very saddening when, again, you just see two people who seem electric on screen and you're just like, yeah, but that was like the 20th take, maybe 40th take on a reshoot. And it makes you even look harder when you see certain movies and shows like and i would always 
hear about that and after the fact and it was one of those when you rewatch the movie now it's unfortunately unintentionally distracting i think it was i'd see movies like glory and some of these other films where you're just like yeah there's a reason they're not in the same shot they just could not stand to be in the same room you heard <laughs> I heard about even that with The Good Wife. These two just very talented actresses, Juliana Margulies and Archie Panjabi, just fucking hated each other. <laughs> I don't think God. I've ever heard anybody say anything negative about Jet Li. I think uh, all I've heard were positive things about him. And Yeah, and I think everyone was cool with having to double him because his Hong Kong choreographer, Corey Wan, worked on these movies along with the Transporter films and uh, I think it was just one of those two. He was making a name for himself saying, hey, you better credit me as the co-director because I directed all your action scenes in your movie and you just directed all the other stuff. you know. And I think everyone was making a name for themselves, getting respect and versus, you know, when you see other people who, you know, we liked but kind of fell off for a while, like Chris Brosnan and Antonio Banderas kind of struggled to kind of keep up the momentum before kind of just doing a lot of, indie and video on demand and ensemble work uh because you know you you play a giant franchise character and then you know that oyster evaporates and then you got to try a few different things and i think gently just kind of had it better than say you know other people who were big for a while there and then you know wesley it's just such a shame that wesley snipes for instance had to do a lot of directed video movies and don't get me wrong some of them were very enjoyable but i think that's just it i think he got you know, too big a head and that's, he had a crappy, uh, you know, tax filer and he just thought, oh, I'm not going to pay anything. I'm like, no, no, you got to resolve this because <laughs> someone wants to send you to jail. And it's such a shame that he had to say, share the same video store shelves as Van Damme and Seagal. And you're like, no, no, not even remotely in the same thing. <laughs> Another thing uh, I wanted to mention, a couple things. Um, Dion Lum was the was the choreographer on Exit Wounds, another guy from the Hong Kong film industry. I forgot and about that. Yeah. I remember specifically, I remember DMX mentioned um, on like the special features of that DVD, he mentioned that uh, like he had a good teacher, like training him for the fight scenes. And I, I wonder too, I mean, the, they had to have taken this from it's an old Chow Yun Fat film from the 80s called Tiger on the Beat, the trick with the shotgun. And that film, Chow Yun Fat had it. It on like, does do that similar shotgun play. <laughs> bungee cord, but in, in Exit Wounds, DMX ties his belt around the trigger of the shotgun and like throws it up in the air, you know. And I mean, <laughs> and being open to all that kind of mentoring and it almost makes you wonder is like because like Tupac was always getting in fist fights and violent fight you know standoffs with other rivals and you know each time he was trying to study kung fu he just wanted to get close to just some chick who was studying it and it does kind of make you wonder if I always wish if Tupac and DMX could have been in a movie together like that is a fan cast for me where I'm just like what could have should have been like you just knew they could have been in a movie together and it would have been kind of cool. Uh, and there's plenty of other movies around the same time that kind of came out like in too deep and 
just all these yeah. other point break and Minister society type movies and sometimes it just made you wonder what would have happened had they been in the roles and i mean dmx has some other movies that are underseen like he unexpectedly shows up as the lover of the drug addicted mom in this one film called pimp <laughs> and <laughs> it's just like he he just pretty much at that point he just had to get roles that weren't too different from what he was doing or that required little effort which is a shame because this is just another guy who again he just has such a huge music career that it just feels bigger than he actually is and you know thanks to hollywood magic he was able to kind of look respectable for a while before you know starting some bad movies and like there's this one where he's fighting like a Komodo dragon or some shit, and it's just very amateur hour. It was like, man, even my sci-fi channel standards, this is bad. And I didn't even realize until not that long ago that that he had come back to do more movies. I you know I thought for the longest time I thought Never Die Alone was the last one he did, and then it was definitely the last one that got theatrical screening. The rest of the time it was like made for TV or at a festival, you know. You know, I kept up with his music. I mean, um, even until Year of the Dog, by that time, the Rough Riders uh, run it was really slowing down. And after that came out. And yet you got the love from his material because, you, you know, you'd hear comedians use his music as or athletes still use his material as like a opening track when they're running onto the field or even... You know, I mean, for God's yeah. sake, Steadful used it yeah. prominently. Don't give trailer. it to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it seemed like his greatest hits would just always be featured on some kind of party remixer. And yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like party up, up in here. I mean, that track you hear that all all over the place still. Um, Rough Riders anthem. I mean, some of those really big classic tracks. You know, they become like timeless. So. They really are. Uh, there's plenty of times we're all playing instrumental version of them just to get for the podcast edit. <laughs> I, I, it just, for whatever reason, it makes you want to just go out and just like get in a street fight with someone and <laughs> become an action movie god. And it, it definitely is pretty cool workout music. So I think that's just it. It's just like, it's cool that he had his moment in the sun. It's kind of a shame that it didn't get bigger from there. And then at the same time, like, He's more talented than he probably realizes. <laughs> and I mean, I, I totally agree with some critics. He kind of had that kind of certain appeal, kind of like Ice-T, where he's just like, he just has a certain honesty to him. It's not yeah. pretending to be a good guy or a bad guy or where, and definitely can applaud him more than say someone like Coolio or Busta Rhymes, where you're hired to just play yourself, you know, in a movie <laughs> TV special. You know, the, the other thing I gotta say, you know, um, it's not to, not to talk trash about anybody, but you know, we all got what we like, and I I had to give him credit. Although I heard he later, I I heard that he later said something different, but I remember there was some interview where you know they had, they had asked DMX what he thought about Drake. <laughs> you know and instead of going what could have been you know potential like kiss ass type of uh celebrity hollywood type of uh oh yeah he's great i love his music and this and that i mean flat out said i don't i don't like the guy i don't i don't like his music 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Um, now I heard he later retracted that and then then said he maybe he did like him or, or something, you know. And I think that's the other thing too. He still had that, you know. Part of the respect is unfortunately, you know, part of the game where you do kind of have to do a diss or be bluntly honest, uh, much like a politician or whatever. That's how you gain your fan base. But at the same time, yeah, it's like he's he's got health struggles, he's got got legal troubles, and then uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you get in one of those interviews and it's like I got to retract it, I got to apologize without necessarily apologizing, just saying I might have gone a little too far, and it just stinks because it's like. So basically, you're on a tight leash here and there. It is like, what what can you do? What can you say at a public appearance that won't be embarrassing? And I think that's just it. I think uh, because he was just kind of elongating just in career hell at that point, it, he was getting a bunch of those incidences where he'd be announcing a concert or some other live event and then retracting on it and same deal with interviews is like oh, I might have said that and so I think I just was never really surprised when I would see a more recent interview with him and it was almost always at like a local radio station versus something bigger like you know at the Eli you know red carpet or whatever you know <laughs> he kind of just stopped getting as many of those mainstream invites he wasn't gonna perform at like a Super Bowl necessarily right which stank because right. he, he would have totally probably dominated i would have much rather him at a super bowl versus you know all these other country and pop music stars <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah yeah no doubt about that um no it is a shame you know at the same time it's like i don't know just gotta be happy it, for what we got you know you know sometimes sometimes some of that hollywood you know, click type of stuff. It sometimes just comes across a little bit fake. And I mean, you gotta, you gotta admire that. I mean, even though, yeah, I mean, of course, DMX was in Hollywood, but like to me, I, I never felt like he came across like, like he was, like he thought he was like better than anybody else, you know? He definitely deserved better because. Compared to so many others who just would notoriously just be outspoken or just, you know, I mean, I'm looking at you, Kanye, where he's just like just known for being <laughs> a douche and just selling out everything and everyone hate watches you as many as the people who love you. And it's just like, that's, I can't think of anyone who really hate watched his material unless they just were unimpressed with one of his movies. They still could kind of respect him as a talent to withhold and, it just seemed like there's just so many of these other guys. It's like, I mean, Soldier Boy was on that tribute album for his death. And I'm like, not Soldier Boy, Lil Wayne. And it's like, yeah, but those guys yeah. are kind of one and two in the, it's like, who, who told these guys, these could, these guys could rap. And I, <laughs> right. I would, I would see people like Ice Q, Ice T, and even uh, Mo Deep just kind of talk about them and just be like, yeah, these guys are not. <laughs> No, uh, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, it, hey, everybody's probably good at something. I, I don't think, I don't think Lil Wayne is a, is a great rapper. Um, has he made has he made some decent uh, verses? Yeah, 
I, I got to give him that credit. I mean, I don't hate the guy. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of him though. Like, I I wouldn't buy his albums. Same with Drake. And, and but you know, that's just not my. They don't really appeal to me, you know. But they're gonna appeal to three hundred. Drake is more of a so. Drake is tough because he's kind of like more today's country stars, where it's like they're supposedly trying to be a throwback to the genre, yet definitely more of an electronic pop kind of mashup. And he's interesting in that he's kind of been more popular on the social media platforms, but his music's like it or hate it. And then I was kind of one of those more guys who just like, I would just see stories about him hanging out with underage people. And I was like, Hmm, that sounds a little shady to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with like little Wayne, I get the, I get the sense that like, you know, I don't know. He got into I, it very young. And so therefore yeah, it's for the millennial crowd and he was never going to appeal to any hardcore rap fans. <laughs> Right, you know, and again, not I'm not trying to throw shade on him. I mean, he did a track with YG that um, I thought his verse was pretty good on that one. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, nowadays I can't get into anything anymore. Like I can't get in, I can't get into new new artists anymore. I mean, yeah, it's the alternative music scene's often the best because you'll get a lot of guys who are kind of just breaking through the barriers and that's just how you have to do it because uh the every local station that's funded by you know donations and everything is going to play more of that and i'm never surprised when some of those end up winning some grammys because it's like it's like the only music that you're really getting some thought put into the lyrics versus you know what's on yeah, all of your main stations which are just whatever just got played in a popular movie or to, to, to Drake and to Lil Wayne's credit, I mean, you know, they're not like so terribly dreadful. Like compared to like, you know, some of the stuff that's come out in in even more recent time. I mean, those guys have been around a while now, but uh, like all these like little guys, like little pump, little whoever. You know what I mean? Like little face, Cam, who was kind of with tattoos. the Rough Riders at times. Yeah. And well, all these like young kids with the face tattoos and the multicolored hair and, and the, you know, I mean, if that's your style, go for it. But it's not about, I mean, it just seems like everybody's copying each other. And then, and then when it comes down especially. to it, let's, <laughs> let's look at the lyrics. Let's look at the music. And that shit sucks. Like Gucci gang, I mean, come on, man. That's trash. That is pure trash. Uh, yeah. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Like that song, that's trash, man. That's uh, trash. They're the <laughs> they're the Rebecca Blacks of the rap scene, but especially Soldier Boy. When Soldier Boy came out, it was one of those like, this is not music. This is yeah. known for being up and in your face, but it's not zero thought put into it. And yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Nicki Minaj is kind of the same kind of deal too. I know many who are inspired by her and Lil Kim, and I'm like, I can understand Lil Kim's issue. I can't understand Minaj because I think I, Nicki Minaj, like, if she if she just tries to rap normally, like, she doesn't sound that bad. But when she gets off on all this like weird, like trying to like like sound funny or weird and like this Barbie thing or whatever's going on, like it's just it's like a gimmick, you know, and, and it's just. It comes across as like annoying, so and I don't like I don't like it. 
it's weird because it's like Rihanna was kind of going more for like a mix of R&B and everything and I heard it was a cool person and all and I think her bad gal image with Minaj just kind of just got up to her where it's just like I'm not digging the rap tracks even though she probably could rap if she wanted to so it was kind of much like the Miley Cyrus thing where it's just like okay you guys might have some talent but what you're doing is anything but talented so I'm gonna wait a while well, yeah, that's I, the I thing. I mean, stick you to what you're good at, right? Stick to what you're good at. I mean, not everybody... Like, Cardi B was a reality show star. I don't know who told her you should start acting or rapping. <laughs> so, and... Everybody's good at something. You know, everybody's I, I good at something. Well, that's just it, too. It's like... Uh, I, I've lost track of how many times we saw some of these record producers who would start trying to do music, and it wasn't doing that all that great. And then we saw... Uh, you know, we, we talk all the time about film, and I think we've lost track of how many times we've seen people who work with stunts or camera work or writing, and they try directing, and we're just like, oof, that was rough. <laughs> yeah, and and at the same time, like, like what what I like, what you like, what whoever likes, it's going to be different. It's going to differ from person to person. So I'm not going to go out and buy Nicki Minaj's new album or drake or little wayne or any of those guys right but you know i know they got tons and tons of fans so i mean obviously there's millions of people that do like it oh a thousand percent like you know it's um, only when something underperforms that you're not hot shit anymore and in all fairness the industry is going to keep being cutthroat and it's just hard to predict too i'm never surprised when some of these guys come out with a memoir and we're just like, Oh, so that's why you did this part of your messy career or why you took some time off and just getting your mental state together. It's like, yeah, it's going to be. And I think that's just it. DMX just didn't have any breathing hour. And any time that he did have a way, he didn't have any other role models other than, you know, God to look up to. And it's like, yeah, he needed someone else to just really, help him through the ring. And I wouldn't be surprised if we hear another life story years later is like, here's what we tried. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Netflix documentary about <laughs> by his widow or someone else who worked with him. So yeah, I, w- I, I would mean, definitely see know. it. I would totally see it. Yeah. I mean, those kind of things that got to be done. Right. I mean, I'm glad they didn't rush out and do one trying to, trying to be like, a Oh, that would have pissed me off. That would have been like, we don't have all the facts here. Like, let's look at the, um, they did that one on, um, uh, shit, sorry. Um, Selena, right? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, the, uh, singer. Netflix, the Netflix, uh, series. And I didn't really know a lot about her. My wife is a a fan, so. She was very unimpressed with it. No, actually, she liked it. And, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I went into it kind of not not knowing much, and I enjoyed it. And it actually, it got me, because I hadn't really listened to her music, so. I mean, it depends, because, like, I was very impressed with some of the newer CNN documentaries, like uh, the 80s and 90s. But then there were some when they got to the movies where it's like, uh, yeah, but you barely you know got the entire roster there you kind of skipped over a bunch of stuff (laughs) and uh, 
it, it's never a hundred percent. I mean, I'm always happy that there is some kind of documentary regardless, but there are other times where it's like, yeah, that's a good starter documentary, but they exaggerate on this or that and got it out of whack. And once people start, you know, listing it in the IMDb trivia or on Wikipedia, then, you know, where do you go from there? And now you got to, it's almost much like the Tupac and Biggie stuff. Everyone wants to know more and yet you got to get close to someone if you really want to have a really good documentary. And then you got to be able to have a good film crew who can make the documentary interesting and funded and people actually come out and see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's think, also just um, hard to gain interest because half the time it just seems like documentaries are just taking footage from other documentaries of the 70s yeah, and 80s. Yeah, that, that, that tends to be the case, but... Because no one buys DVDs anymore. <laughs> Blu-ray, so. and now, I'm sure we'll probably see something else in the future. Uh, you know, like you said, like a Netflix series or, or something, you know, and probably some years down the they line. They did it with Bruce Lee, so I wouldn't be surprised. I think they'll totally just give it 10 years they gotta they're, they're probably starting on it now and they're just gonna it's gonna be a while yeah i mean they probably gotta go through different legal hoops get get oh yeah and, you know unless you want to do the unauthorized documentary that could totally kill on youtube <laughs> or what have you yeah uh in fact yeah. hell you or i if we wanted to and it would be a lot of time and money and hours spent. We could literally just uh, spend a year in development of interview people close to, you know, DMX. And that would be a while because then you would have to remaster the sound, make sure the commentary is good and organized. And then it would be, and now after that, we're doing this. <laughs> this is like, and that's just it. You've got to, half the time when people start stuff like this, they got to take it in waves. Because if it's not legal or having to do the disclaimer, hey, unauthorized, you know, or nonprofit, then you also have to say, but I really want to introduce people to stuff like this and learn about it, you know? Right, right. And uh, I, I, you would see even with some of those documentaries that were about TV shows, like they did one on Deep, Star Trek Deep Space Nine that was really good that keeps getting rediscovered. And it was one of those where when they started it, they weren't ready to start. And then when they finally had to get underway, then they were just trying to find the narrative, how to change it and actually make it different than any other documentary on the subject. So uh, some stuff just, it's really hard to schedule and then get everyone in the zone. <laughs> we're ready. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd always be interested in hearing like what, like what, what some of the people, you know, what, what kind of experience did some of the people have that worked with DMX on his movies have, right? Like, like and then uh, if you're going to talk with people who are, who know some of these rap moguls, then, then it will get to, Oh shit, you, you can't print that. Uh, I'm going to get in some legal trouble. So you might run into something like that or another hiccup or, uh, and then, then you also got to decide, well, I know they wanted to print this. I feel like this works better for the narrative and that can just be, you know, word of mouth. And then sometimes people do want the raw uncut dill. And then like you say, you still need some legal paperwork to just kind of show, Hey, we don't endorse these views. We're just sharing them. <laughs> right. Cause, Cause we're, we're just trying to get to the heart of the matter. And unfortunately, you know, 
some of the record companies might not like what they're hearing. And it's just like you get that disclaimer whenever you put in any kind of documentary or movie with some special features. They always say the studio does not endorse this, but yet we're distributing it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean... <laughs> Oh, it's it's hard, but um, I, I think you're on to something. I think we're going to see something. I think we're going to, and it, it would kill. And there's just enough people interested in this person who, I even see people who aren't really crazy into rap who just were just like, yeah, the dude's a pretty cool actor. <laughs> and I, there, something's got to be said for someone who everyone acknowledges in pop culture in some way, shape, or form, or fashion. Yeah, he was here in town maybe 2000... Well, it might have been 2018. It was like a few years back. Uh, that sounds about right. I definitely looking, would hear his show. Looking back, I, I wish I would have gone. You know, I, I thought about going, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't work out. I would have had to take a night off work or something, and um, you know, so I didn't take the opportunity to go, but looking back, cause you never know, like, Oh, maybe we'll catch him next time. That wasn't to be. Right. <laughs> Thanks a ton for being on here. I feel like we have talked to everyone's ears off. Uh, any other closing thoughts? No, not really. I mean, keep, keep forwarding those tracks, guys. Keep DMX's legacy alive. You got Spotify. Anyone you encounter any nephew or cousin who doesn't know about him. <laughs> Get one of his songs up on loudspeaker. <laughs> Put it yeah, on your I think his work playlist. speaks for itself. You know, I mean, I think um, he definitely left behind a lot of stuff for check out. If, watch if his want. movies, watch hell, even watch his reality show. <laughs> interesting man. Definitely. We'll return after these messages. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast sci-fi horror fantasy superheroes comedy action film television maybe some not so current events find us on itunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com cool thing about blind knowledge is we are in multiple countries we are worldwide all across the globe we are in the u.s we are in the uk we are in canada germany india japan we're in australia y'all blindknowledge.com now back to the feature presentation.
Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.